Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is 10%. I'm Vivian McPeak. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for 10%, email me at 10 at gmail.com. Tribal Hemp and Cannabis Magazine is a culture and lifestyle publication designed for communities protecting sovereignty in the plant medicine economies. Its founder, as well as the founder of the Indigenous Cannabis Coalition, Mary Jane Oatman, is a past president of the National Indian Education Association and a former member of the National Advisory Council on Indian Education. Oatman has also served on the board of the Minority Cannabis Business Association, the co-founder of which has appeared on this show. I'm very glad to have Mary Jane with me today to tell us about all of her efforts. Welcome, Mary Jane, to Cannabis Radio. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. My pleasure. You are the founder of the Indigenous Cannabis Coalition, which has as its stated mission to provide education to and for Indigenous communities, elevate tribal communities, and promote traditional and spiritual use. When did you get the idea for the coalition and what kind of work are you doing to further those goals? Well, I've always grown up in a household that had a high value for plant medicines. My grandmother went to federal prison when I was a little girl for uh, cultivating the, the very beautiful and sacred plant amongst our people. And so there's just always been a, a love and, and a value for the healing of the medicine itself. And then I was serving on the Minority Cannabis Business Association uh, Board of Directors, which was a phenomenal opportunity to network with other cannabis entrepreneurs and policy thought leaders, um, practitioners. But while I was doing that work, I realized that it's a, it's a heavy lift to get uh, tribal sovereignty uh, in cannabis, as well as just tribes uh, in general, as a part of the conversation. And this was all, mind you, prior to the uh, larger movement in social equity and cannabis. So um, in 2019, when I founded the Indigenous Cannabis Coalition, it was primarily to, to service as a complementary organization to uplift uh, tribes in the cannabis industry. Uh, let's talk about your publication, uh, Tribal Hemp and Cannabis Magazine, the first publication dedicated exclusively to tribal hemp and cannabis communities. Uh, can you describe THC Magazine? What can readers expect to find perusing uh, its pages and, and its website? You know, THC Magazine is, it's the, the, the keystone to the work that we do at the Indigenous Cannabis Coalition. We have a lot of education and advocacy to do 
within our tribal communities. That's exactly why we chose the print publication so that we could get those tangible uh, evidence of change into the hands of our elders so that they could see the research and the development that was going on uh, so that our tribal leadership across Indian country that are still on the sidelines in cannabis economic development would be able to have uh, beacons of success with sister tribes uh, to be able to network and partner with as tribes uh, early in the cannabis industry that have a more mature marketplace or thinking more of like, you know, what does a nation to nation commerce look like? What does, you know, some of the, as, as legalization conversations occur and people talk about interstate commerce, what would an intertribal commerce in cannabis look like? And so THC magazine covers everything and anything tribal hemp and cannabis. We are excited to focus on individual entrepreneurs that are doing amazing collaborations with brands like Cookies. Uh, we go to the festivals that we do our distribution at and elevate our work with, you know, some of the mainstream, um, you know, cannabis ambassadors that are out there. And then we also, um, you know, provide, uh, uh, with permission, of course, you know, rerunning of some of the top news that happen across Indian country that is in a digital format that maybe uh, our tribal communities missed because it's only in that virtual world. And so we uh, we find some of those really key articles and uh, work with the um, original authors to, to get permission to rerun them. And some of them are really just big news that Indian country just misses out on. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. Um, you also, I believe, have a, uh, your own podcast. THC Global Media produces the Smoke Signals podcast. Can you tell us yes. about that? Yeah, we started the Smoke Signals podcast because we realized that the voices of the people in the magazine, we really wanted to find find a way to bring them to life because uh, we were doing the um, magazine, starting the concept of it uh, in more around like November of 2019. And then of course, we were not anticipating the global shutdown uh, because of the pandemic, you know, like anybody else was. And so we had to shift a lot of our work that we were doing in the early stages of founding the magazine to formats like this, Zoom recordings and, you know, hosting a lot of our, uh, our, our journalistic interactions uh, through this type of content. And so we realized uh, that's that's really a premium that we would be able to add in terms of the, the the podcasting and then finding ways that we could capture those interviews and then bring them back into the magazine so that people would be able to scan a QR code to hear an elder's testimonial or go and see uh, and visit a tribal nation farm. Uh, you know, without having to hop on a plane and go there, but just with, you know, the click of a phone and find a way to bridge our, uh, our print media, which um, I'm really happy that we kept, you know, in, in the midst of uh, not, not even knowing that we were going to be impacted by, by the pandemic. And then just some of the further supply chain issues that have impacted us as a print publication um, would have done it exactly the same all, all over again because uh, the issues, every single one of them are also um, cataloged in the Library of Congress. 
and the preservation of story is really also one of the um, you know pr primary features that we do this, as well as some of the proprietary data that we are collecting uh, through our tribal nation dispensary and farm maps. So from the get go, it's always been a goal to provide the the advocacy and the education of the um, the magazine for free. And so we do 10,000 print copies every quarter and you'll find them at dispensaries, you know, a majority of them, I guess you could say about 7,000 of them we distribute in, in the, you know, Western part of the States. I mean, a huge concentration in California, Oregon, Nevada, uh, Washington state, um, really increasing our distribution into Montana and Colorado. But, you know, we, we're just kind of, um, started our, our magazine and we we're just distributing to the locations where there was already a presence and then started to shift our model back a little bit. Now we're getting out to those communities where they need more of the education, uh, finding, uh, just finding as many outlets that we, as we can to, to be able to, to distribute them. We're in early uh, stage discussions with students for sensible drug policy, to distribute to all of their membership. So we're always looking to partner with organizations that are looking to add value to their membership services um, to, you know, at cost, get the magazine from us and get it shipped to your members so that they can see what's happening in tribal communities because there are very many opportunities to do business in Indian country for non-tribal businesses for a, a variety of, of different you know, many of them even non-plant touching ways, um, you know, insurance, um, accounting services, security and surveillance. And then, of course, we have tribes that have developed their law and order codes to be able to open up uh, to non-native cultivators to farm on tribal lands under tribal permits and license. So there's wow. a lot of opportunity. Wow, that's a lot. Um, you mentioned that your grandmother was sent to prison for growing cannabis on your family's allotted land. Uh, land that was passed down after treaty negotiations with the United States government all the way back to the late 1800s, I read. Uh, how did your grandmother's incarceration influence your desire to defend tribal sovereignty and empower your community to embrace the cannabis plant? Oh, it's been 100% the reason why I do what I do. Um, you know, my grandma's 84 years old, almost. I mean, I feel bad when I blast her age out there because it's, <laughs> it's not a very ladylike thing to do. However, she, she works hard. She still works hard and she's got a vast amount of land that just sits idle. And it's, it's almost criminal when you look at her hands being tied to be able to cultivate, uh, you know, quality medicine or to be able to have her, her relatives, her grandchildren, her children come onto the property and be able to, you know, under tribal law and ordinance, um, be able to have a thriving economic uh, development um, opportunity in cannabis. But we can't do that. We're in Idaho, and the complexities of being federally illegal have definitely put uh, put a hindrance on it. And it's been one of the reasons why I charge, you know, forward. Idaho is going to be one of the last states in the union, and there's still a lot of uh, unsettled legal questions when it pertains to the indigenous peoples, because many of us had a longstanding economy tradition and culture as smoking people, 
as uh, cultivators of the plant prior to uh, European invasion. So even the whole timeline of, uh, of federal, uh, federal um, prohibition on cannabis completely misses the, um, the reality and the, the fact that there was a presence here before and there's a there's an archaeological record there's an ethnobotanical record and there's also the oral traditions but we have um you know many of our many of our peace pipe and um, sacred pipe carrying communities are now standing up and speaking for that that voice that has been marginalized we got a little under a minute uh before the first break, but cannabis has great potential to provide economic opportunities for indigenous communities, uh, which you know is exactly what you're you're working on. How does tribal leadership tend to view cannabis, and does that vary? Is there widespread acceptance of the plant, or is there some reluctance by some to become involved in cannabis and hemp by by some tribal leaders? You know, it's it's really sad to say that since there was more of the the push for economic uh, cannabis as an economic driver it really was not much of a priority. I mean, in Washington state, it's been medically legal since 1998. Not one tribe has been cultivating at a scale to meet the medical needs of the people. And once uh, recreational uh, retail opened up, that was like Pandora's box. And so there's, um, since legalization and since states open up and legalize, you see more of a trend, but it's definitely, it's not a majority, definitely not a majority. I am speaking with Mary Jane Oatman of the Indigenous Cannabis Coalition. We're going to take a first break and come back with our second segment. So don't go anywhere. we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. We're back with Mary Jane Oatman of THC Magazine and the Indigenous Cannabis Coalition. Uh, Mary Jane, there is a history of, well, in my opinion, a criminal degree of oppression and unfair treatment of indigenous communities by the United States government uh, and really from governments all over the world. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, how do federal laws in the United States regarding cannabis and hemp impact North American tribes who seek to cultivate or sell cannabis and hemp on tribal lands? Uh, I mean, I would think that they have sovereign sovereignty, what we know. That, the way that's often treated, do Native communities face any unique challenges when it comes to cannabis? You know, I would have to like almost directly quote the current Secretary of Interior while she was serving as the uh, congressman, congresswoman, the first one of the first, you know, Native women elected to Congress uh, for New Mexico, uh, Deb Howland you know, said it so eloquently, you know, the current laws uh, pertaining to uh, federal cannabis are in the way of tribes. I mean, they're just completely in the way. And um, we were really honored to be able to have uh, Deb Halland write a contribution to the very first issue of THC magazine. And then she went even further and provided this amazing testimonial uplifting tribal hemp and cannabis magazine as um you know as as being pivotal in providing the education to tribes about the opportunities for economic development as well as um you know how integral it it is for tribes to protect tribal sovereignty in in cannabis and so uh right now there's 
a lot of complexity going on because, you know, like there was a raid in the Picarius Pueblo community uh, in November of last year. And this raid happened just on the heels of President Biden, you know, releasing his administrative priorities, one of them being, you know, honoring and upholding the trust relationship with, you know, the native tribes in this nation. And then boom, you get a raid by the Bureau of Indian Affairs on a on an elder in a tribe that has an approved medical cannabis ordinance for the tribe in a state where it is approved to cultivate medical cannabis. And he had a state, he had a dual license. He had a state and a tribe license because ironically this, uh, this man that was raided on the tribal pro on the tribal federal property held in trust by the federal government, uh, but the homelands of the Picaris Pueblo, um, he, his partner, his domestic partner is um, native. She's a member, uh, an enrolled member of the Picaris Pueblo, but he was non-native. And so there was just, I mean, just to throw a curveball at an already super complex issue. I mean, he's never been charged with anything. He was basically robbed at gunpoint by the BIA. Wow. His nine plants. And he was very open about it. He's like, yeah, I got plants. I got my license. I got my papers, you know? And so um, incidences like that are going to make it 10 times harder for tribes to want to come from the sidelines and get in the game and find a way that they can build an economy that's cleaner, that's greener, that's more aligned with their cultural values and um, will provide a greater avenue towards healing for their people than the current uh, health uh, model of, you know, greet, treat and street. And it's basically a, you know, a pharmaceutical model. And it's, it's killing our people. Yeah. Absolutely. It's killing the planet. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the whole mindset, right? Um, Alex Whiteplume, an Oglala Lakota leader in South Dakota, planted his first hemp crop on Wounded Knee Creek on the Pine Ridge Reservation, I believe. And former Green Party presidential candidate Winona LaDuke operates Winona's Hemp Heritage Farm in Snellman, Minnesota. What other notable Native leaders working in cannabis and hemp should our listeners know about? Well, aside from, you know, the wonderful uh, Secretary of Interior, Howland, we have featured some, you know, some phenomenal people that even at the time uh, were, uh, I, I guess, I, I didn't realize the magnitude of the um, the power of telling their story specifically, and then the influence that they have to make that change in policy to make that change in terms of the mindset of the negative stigma that exists in tribal communities. So uh, one of those is Heather Don Thompson. Uh, she is now one of the uh, top uh, attorneys at the Department of Agriculture's Office of Tribal Relations. And we've been able to feature Amber Torres, who is the Walker River uh, Paiute Tribal Chairwoman. And um, oh my goodness, I feel like so on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. Well, maybe I mean, what people should issue. do is 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 get get a hold of your magazine, right? <laughs> yes, they should definitely get a hold of my magazine because what we did in the very first issue was featured in uh, well, the first one was just a, a short issue, uh, kind of geared a little bit more towards policy, and it was only 24 pages just to get it out the door. 
And every issue since then has been 48 pages, you know, gloss cover to cover of, you know, some amazing stories. Um, we've, you know, when I mentioned earlier about the opportunity of the preservation of the story, um, we're working sometimes with elders that are telling their stories about how this plant has helped them heal through some of the most traumatic times like boarding schools or like having their children taken from them by the government wrongfully during the, um, the, the, you know, the child, the Indian child, you know, theft days. Um, so, some of these elders have passed away due to COVID and they're, you know, some of them are even struggling in health right now, you know, so my prayers to all of the people and their families that have been a part of this journey, because um, the stories that we've been able to preserve are just treasures. They truly, truly are treasures. And there's, um, I think, a lot of healing in not only telling your story, but picking up other people's stories and reading them. You see threads of, of um, things that have impacted your life, whether it be, you know, through the parallel time frame or just something. And I am just a, a huge proponent of healing through storytelling. And so when I have difficulty in selling ads, because I'm just maybe working a little bit more robotic, like I'm just, you know, worrying about the financial health of a magazine as a, as a business woman publishing a magazine, you know, I just, I do, I'll take the time to just look at the magazines as they hang on my wall, pick some of them up and read the stories. And then, you know, it shifts the energy of my, of my sales calls to, you know, this is about the preservation of story. This isn't, it's definitely about, you know, building indigenous brands and, um, you know, showcasing, the the best of uh, indigenous grown throughout the nation but the the stories that are featured in the magazine um I mean gosh I was just as you as we were saying this I was just thinking you know the the opportunity to opportunity to to um showcase uh not just uh Amber Torres but I think three other elected you know tribal chair people um, Brandy uh, Taylor of the Sanibel, um, uh, Santa Isabel Nation, David Bean of the Puyallup Nation. And these are really, um, you know, really important leaders in, in not only their communities, but across Indian country, because other leaders listen to them and they're learning from them. And they are maybe taking that baby step closer towards learning about how um, cannabis or hemp on the fiber side might be a move for their tribe strategically to diversify uh, for their people. Um, we hear a lot of talk uh, in the cannabis industry, cannabis community uh, about social equity um, and, and, you know, the, the social equity components that have been kind of embedded into recent legislation, I think most of us see are inadequate uh, don't go far enough at all to address the harms uh, that prohibition has disproportionately meted out to communities of color in general. Um, but what's, what I see lacking in almost all of these conversations about uh, social equity uh, is an inclusion of indigenous communities. Do you agree? Oh, I would definitely agree, uh, Vivian. I've been actually a lot of the work of late 2020 and all of 2021 has been a message of inclusivity and that, you know, some of the pillars of 
and the foundation of all cannabis policy should include indigenous communities. And then to see that we're just not even included in the social equity conversations, any of the programs uh, that are afforded. And it, it's, um, it's, it's sad because a lot of times it just goes back to being so marginalized. There's so, so, uh, our, our population is just so small as an endangered species. But again, we go back to that, you know, having that original tie and connection here so much so that, I mean, the peace pipe is on the Jefferson peace metal. I mean, the, um, the, yeah, the peace pipe is on the Jefferson peace metal and uh, was used in courtship, if you will, uh, amongst the relationships with the tribe. So that's a recognition that tribes on the East Coast definitely had that sacred relationship with, um, with smoke. And then of course they also have, I mean, it's ridiculous to think that this amazing plant and the seed has been on this on this uh, globe for as long as it has, but that, you know, it would have never found its way through trade networks to this right. continent, like right. prior to European, you know, settlement, it just makes absolutely no sense. Um, I, I got to go to break, but I just want to say that, that this conversation is even more striking with critical race theory and the, the uh, controversy going around that right now as well. Um, I am speaking to Mary Jane Oatman. We're going to take another break, come back with our final questions. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. All right. We are back with Mary Jane Oatman. Um, Mary Jane, this is just such an important conversation. And I just really am, am in, you know, so glad to have you on the show. Um, how can people check out and support Tribal Hemp and Cannabis Magazine and the Indigenous Cannabis Coalition? Uh, and, and what final thoughts would you like to leave our listeners with today? Well, we have a website, uh, www.indigenouscannabiscoalition.com, where we encourage any and everybody to go and download our gorgeous publication, THC Magazine, for absolutely free. I apologize on the front end for the daunting store checkout process, but that's allowed us to really capture some data so that we could build our list serves as a brand new uh, cannabis nonprofit as well. Uh, we've been just kind of working on building data, um, determining exactly what our scopes of services were going to be. So we've never actually done a huge capital fundraising campaign. We've just been able to scrap by um, with THC Magazine. Uh, you know, I cashed in what little bit of a retirement that I had to be able to make it come to life and then just continued through the pandemic, uh, refining the model to build uh, advertisement sales. So if you are in the hemp and cannabis industry, we are not exclusive to indigenous owned brands on the advertising side. We have um, insurance companies, we have security and surveillance companies that uh, are are looking to do business in Indian country and anybody that, you know, that has the goodwill and, and ethical business practices and wants to find, you know, their inroads to tribal uh, cannabis community, THC magazine is definitely that inroad. So reach out to us through our website. Uh, advertising with THC magazine is as easy as one, two, three. We sell our pages at $1,000, $2,000 and $3,000. 
And as I mentioned earlier, you know, increasing the value by driving um, driving uh, content to uh, our advertisers' uh, digital uh, platforms, social media. And we just really appreciate being able to be the nation's first and only to be that trailblazer. I have no doubt that, you know, as, as time grows and evolves that, you know, other, other things will evolve and emerge. And so I'm always keeping my, my, my ear to the ground, uh, you know, in terms of finding creative partnerships uh, to, you know, create events and just do, do some really um, big things for, uh, for creating more opportunity for conversation. And so we're in the early stages of going out into tribal communities for uh, cannabis TED Talks, which are, you know, cannabis tribal economic development talks, because a lot of our tribes still need that level of, of uh, intensive community uh, conversation. And so while it's nice to host a big national conference and we all have a blast gathering together in, in mass, it really is critical to get to communities to provide a more intimate level conversation, you know, to bring in the salves, you know, and have those elders that are just really anti and, you know, really don't understand the medicinal qualities to actually have the chance to try a CBD salve and rub it in their hands and feel the um, the healing properties themselves so that they themselves can start to break down those walls. So, you know, bringing, you know, some of our, our product samples into tribal communities where they're currently lacking access because they don't even have any sort of a model in states where it's completely legal. Wow. Wow, you're you're so impressive. Uh, Mary Jane Oatman found at indigenouscannabiscoalition.com. Thank you so much for taking time out to be on the show. You stay strong and good luck with all your important work. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. That concludes this installment of Hamperson on Cannabis Radio. When it comes to prohibition, you have the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice to so find your voice and speak for up for justice because resistance is fertile. See you next week, folks. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.